0: Hi, Welcome to my first podcast. This is Mrs. Muscatello and this podcast is meant for the Bolton Central School students who are traveling to Boston November 8th and 9th, year 2007. Things included on this podcast will be um, related to the Freedom Trail Walk. We will start at Bunker Hill and end up in the Boston Common. At times I'll ask you to pause your iPod and move ahead at the next stop. Other times we will start walking and you may still have some uh, free tidbits to listen to that other students who are not hooked up uh, will miss. Uh, Please feel free to share them and here we go. Freedom Trail stop number one the Bunker Hill Monument. This 220-foot obelisk honors colonists who died in the Battle of Bunker Hill on June 17, 1775. Even though they lost the battle, they killed or wounded almost half of the British Army, which was part of the reason why the British abandoned Boston about nine months later. The lodge at the base of this obelisk has a diorama and exhibit. Please pause until we move to the second stop on the Freedom Trail. Also known as Old Ironsides. This was one of the original six naval ships that never lost a battle. It took three years to make, totaling $302,000 and 2,000 trees. This ship fought French privateers, pirates, and thwarted the British in the War of 1812. During the War of 1812, she earned her nickname as the shots from the British ships bounced off the thick oak hull, as if it were made of iron. The cry, huzzah, her sides are made of iron, was heard amidst the battle. As we walk to the next site, the following is a poem about, it's called Old Ironsides. I tear her tattered ensign down Long has it waved on high, And many an eye has danced to see That banner in the sky. Beneath it rung the battle shout, And burst the cannon's roar. The meteor of the ocean air Shall sweep the clouds no more. Her deck, once red with hero's blood, Where knelt the vanquished foe, When winds were hurrying o'er the flood, And waves were white below. No more shall feel the victor's tread, or know the conquered knee. The harpies of the shore shall pluck the eagle of the sea. O better that her shattered hulk should sink beneath the wave. Her thunders shook the mighty deep, and there should be her grave. Nail to the mast her holy flag, set every threadbare sail, and give her to the god of storms the lightning, and the gale. If we have not reached the third site, you can pause it here. We have arrived at the third site on, Fe- on the Freedom Trail. This is Copps Hill Burying Ground. This is the second oldest burying ground, originally owned by the Copp family, who were shoemakers. Because of the altitude of this hill, The British used this hill to shoot their cannons at Charleston in 1775. Peoples of the North End were buried here, including thousands of free blacks. Cotton Mather, a minister who was a true believer of witchcraft, is buried here along with the composer William Billings, an artist Gilbert Stuart, a restaurateur Monsieur Julien, and soldiers killed during the Battle of Bunker Hill. As we walk to the fourth site, the following is an online um, excerpt found about Cotton Mather. Cotton Mather, the minister of Boston's Old North Church, was a true believer in witchcraft. In 1688, he had investigated the strange behavior of four children of a Boston Mason named John Goodwin. The children had been complaining of sudden pains and crying out together in chorus. He concluded that witchcraft, specifically that practiced by an Irish washerwoman named Mary Glover, was responsible for the children's problems. He presented his findings and conclusions in one of the best known of the 382 works, Memorable Provinces. Mather's experience caused him to vow "'that that to never use but one grain of patience with any man "'that shall go to impose upon me a denial of devils or of witches.' "'As it happened, three of the five judges appointed to the court of Oyer and Terminer "'that would hear the Salem witchcraft trials were friends of Mather "'and the members of his church.' Mather wrote a letter to one of the three judges, John Richards, suggesting how they might approach evidentiary issues at the upcoming trials. In particular, Mather urged the judges to consider spectral evidence given it such weight as it will bear, and to consider the confessions of witches the best evidence of all. As the trials progressed, and growing numbers of persons confessed to being witches— mather became firmly convinced that an army of devils or yeah, that an army of devils is horribly broken in upon the place which is our center on august 4 1692 mather delivered a sermon warning the last judgment was near at hand and portraying himself chief justice Straughton and governor fipes as leading the final charge against the devil's legions on August 19th, Mather was in Salem to witness the execution of the ex-minister George Burroughs for witchcraft. When, on the when on Gallows Hill, Burroughs was able to recite the Lord's Prayer perfectly, something that witches were thought incapable of doing, and some of the crowd called for the execution to be stopped. Mather intervened, reminding those gathered that Burroughs had been duly convicted by a jury. Mather was given the official records of Salem trials for use in preparation of a book that the judges hoped would favorably describe their role in the affair. The book Wonders of the Invisible World provides fascinating insights both into the trials and Mather's own mind. When confessed witches began recanting their testimony, Mather may have begun to have doubts about at least some of the proceedings. He revised his own position on the use of spectral evidence and tried to minimize his own large role in the consideration of the Salem trials. Later in life, Mather turned away from the supernatural and may well have come to question whether it played the role it, in life he first suspected. At this point you can pause till we reach uh, step number four on the Freedom Trail. Stop number four on the Freedom Trail, the Old North Church. This is the oldest church building in Boston, built in 1723 and officially is called the Christ Church. This is the steeple that Robert Newman hung the two lanterns in on April 18, 1775 to signal that the British were coming by sea, one if by land and two if by sea. At this point, you can pause till we reach number five. Stop five on the Freedom Trail is Paul Revere's house. This is the oldest house in downtown, built in 1680 and bought by Paul Revere in 1770. Revere was living here when he left for Lexington on April 18, 1775 for his famous ride to warn Samuel Adams and John Hancock that the British were coming. Paul Revere died on May 10, 1818 at the age of 83. Paul Revere's first wife, Sarah Orne, died in 1773. She and Paul had eight children. Paul Revere's second wife, Rachel Walker, died in 1813, and she also had eight children. You may pause till we reach the next site. Freedom Trail Stop 6, the New England Holocaust Memorial. This building was erected in 1995 and is located on Union Street between North and Hanover Street. If you look at the glass, you will notice the pattern on the glass has 6 million random numbers, one number for each. Jew who died in the Holocaust. Please pause as we move to the 7th stop, Faneuil Hall. Faneuil Hall, Freedom Trail Stop 7. This hall was built in 1742. The building was a gift from Peter Faneuil, a merchant. It was used as a public meeting hall for orators like Samuel Adams who gave speeches about liberty. The weather vane, a grasshopper, is the only original detail of this building. Please pause till we get to step eight. Stop eight and nine on the Freedom Trail, the old state house, and the site of the Boston Massacre. The old state house was built in 1713. THE DECLARATION OF INDEPENDENCE WAS READ FROM THE BALCONY TO THE BOSTONIANS IN 1776. THE CLOCK REPLACES THE ORIGINAL SUNDIAL. THE LION AND THE UNICORN ARE REPRODUCTIONS AS THE ORIGINALS WERE BURNED THE DAY THE DECLARATION OF INDEPENDENCE WAS READ TO RID THEMSELVES OF ANY SYMBOLS OF ROYAL AUTHORITY. The balcony was where the British soldiers stood and fired down into the crowd on May 5th, 1770, and killed five men. The colonists were angered by the presence of the soldiers in Boston and threw a variety of objects—snowballs, rocks, garbage. They threw these at the redcoats that were standing on the balcony. The soldiers panicked and fired into the crowd, killing five men, including— Crispus Attucks, the first black man to die in the Revolution. The Ring of Paving Stones marks this spot known as the Boston Massacre. <clears throat> as we walk to the next site the following is a piece about Crispus Attucks. Crispus Attucks was born in 1723. His father, Prince, lived in Africa, but was shipped to New England to become a slave. There he married a Native Indian of North America named Nancy. Her sister Phoebe was born shortly after. He was born two years later. He had a younger brother who died young. He grew up a slave. He worked with his father on the farm while his mother and sister did housework they were treated with kindness and respect by their master he began to desire his freedom and became a problem so his master sold him although his new owner allowed more freedom he wanted to work on ships at age 27 he went on a business trip to boston where he secretly applied for a job as a whaler we knew this he knew this trip would not be <clears throat> he knew that this trip would not be returning to Boston soon, so his master would not be able to find him. In the fall of 1769, Attucks, now forty-six, returned to Boston. King George III was trying to rule the colonies, and this was making the colonists upset. To take control of the situation, King George sent British officers over to enforce the laws. The particular situation between Parliament and the colony leaders added a lot of tension between the British troops and the townspeople. Attucks left to go on another voyage and returned February 1770. At this time, a British soldier had shot a boy while being taunted by a group of townspeople. Attucks walked onto a platform in front of a large crowd and spoke briefly but effectively about striking back against the British. His speech prompted colonists to fight for their freedom. On March 5, 1770, the townspeople heard fire bells ringing, and as they walked out to the streets, they saw Attucks leading a small group. He said it was a signal calling the townspeople to the town square to solve the problem with the British. Attucks gathered a large group of colonists and challenged the British troops to fight without their guns. Suddenly, someone yelled, Fire! And the British soldiers shot and killed At the end of the shooting, four other people had been shot, Samuel Gray, James Caldwell, Samuel Maverick, and Patrick Carr. At the memorial service, many speeches were given about the bravery of Crispus Attucks. The fact that he was not treated equally and still had the courage to fight for his country became one of the greatest inspirations for colonists. This incident had been named the Boston Massacre. If we have not reached the next site yet, please pause. Site number 10. The Old South Meeting House. On December sixteenth, 1773, a crowd gathered to wait for word from the Governor about three ships carrying tea, and whether they would be sent back to England. The tea stayed, and was competitively priced, forcing the colonists to buy from the Crown-approved merchants. This sparked the uprising of revolutionaries, the Boston Tea Party. The building built in 1729 replaces the original from 1760. Across the street is Ben Franklin's birthplace, 17 Milk Place. The building you see is not the original. The original building was burned in the fire of 1872 the architects who rebuilt it wanted ben franklin remembered so he placed the bust and the words birthplace of franklin in the facade of the second floor site now known now on first milk street as we move to the next site the following is a newspaper excerpt regarding the fire of eighteen seventy two a disastrous fire began in boston on the evening of the ninth of november lasting twenty-four hours and resulting in the destruction of the very heart of its wholesale trade. The nation succinctly states the rest result in the following terms. From Summer Street north nearly to State Street and from Washington Street east to the water's edge, with two or three small exceptions, there is nothing but rubbish remaining of the many hundred of granite and iron structures in which the dry-goods merchants, wool merchants, and leather merchants of Winthrop Square, Summer Street, Pearl Street, Milk Street, Street, Federal Street, Broad Street, Kilby Street, Water Street, Devonshire Street, and Congress Street carried on trade. Not many buildings of public character were lost, though the warehouses covering the site of the birthplace of Franklin and the homes of Webster and Everett perished. Trinity Church, the mercantile library, and the merchants' exchange went down but the famous old south church was saved and so was the new post office and the old state house the loss in buildings and merchandise is estimated at 75 million and 50 million of insurance capital has been consumed the fire spread over an area of 60 acres the immensity of the disaster is due to the lack of promptness on the part of the fire department to inflammability of mansard roofs and to the fact that it was impossible for fire engines to bring a stream of water to the height of the burning buildings. Thirteen persons are reported to have been killed and ten wounded in connection with the fire. If we have not arrived at the next site, Site 11, please pause. Site 11, Old Freedom Trail, the Old Corner Bookstore. Built in 1712 by Thomas Crease, Mr. Crease used the building as his home and apothecary shop. An apothecary is what we today call a pharmacy. In 1828, Carter and Hendy used this building as a bookstore. From 1833 to 1864, Ticknor and Fields, a leading publisher, used the building as a meeting place for authors. Some of these authors were Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Nathaniel Hawthorne, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, Harriet Beecher Stowe, and Charles Dickens. Today, the building is used as a jewelry shop. We'll now move to the Freedom Trail Stop 12. Please pause if we have not arrived at the first public school site. Freedom Trail Site 12, First Public School Site This is School Street, the colorful mosaic in the sidewalk represents the location of the first public school in the country. It was founded in 1634. Samuel Adams, Ben Franklin, John Hancock, and Cotton Mather studied here. When the King's Chapel was expanded, the school moved across the street, and later, to the Fenway area. The school is known today as the Boston Latin School. Other alumni of this school include Ralph Waldo Emerson, Charles Bullfinch, and Leonard Bernstein. Please pause. Freedom Trail Stop 13, King's Chapel and Burying Ground. King's Chapel is the home of the first Anglican congregation till after the Revolutionary War when it became the first Unitarian Church in America. People buried here include John Winthrop, a Massachusetts Bay Colony governor, John Winthrop, the colonial royal governor, Mary Chilton, the first pilgrim to touch Plymouth Rock, and William Dawes. William Dawes rode with Paul Revere on the Midnight Ride, but was not as recognized. Some believe that he, was, that he actually is not buried here. As we walk to the next site, the following is a poem written, by, or written about William Dawes. The title is, The Midnight Ride of William Dawes. I am a wandering bitter shade, never of me was a hero made. Poets have never sung my praise, nobody crowned my brow with bays, and if you ask me the fatal cause, I answer only, my name was Dawes. Till all, Tis all very well for the children to hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere, but why should my name be quite forgot, who rode as boldly and well, God not? Why should I ask, the reason is clear? My name was Dawes and his Revere. When the lights from the Old North Church flashed out, Paul Revere was waiting about. But I was already on my way. The shadows of night fell cold and gray, as I rode with never a break or a pause. But what was the use when my name was Dawes? History rings with his silvery name. Closed to me are the portals of fame. Had he been Dawes and I revere? No one had heard of him, I fear. No one has heard of me because he was revere and I was Dawes. If we have not arrived at stop 14, the old Granary Bearing Grounds, please pause. Freedom Trail, stop 14, old Granary Bearing Grounds, established in 1660. Some of the names of people buried here include Sam Adams, American statesman, politician, writer, and political philosopher, one of the founding fathers of the United States, and a brewer. Paul Revere, an American silversmith and a patriot in the American Revolution, known well for his midnight ride. John Hancock, president of the Second Continental Congress and of the Congress of the Confederation, first governor of Massachusetts, and the first person to sign the United States Declaration of Independence. James Otis, a lawyer in colonial Massachusetts who was an early advocate of the political views that led to the American Revolution. The phrase, taxation without representation is tyranny, is usually attributed to him. Peter Fanuel, a wealthy American colonial merchant, slave trader, and philanthropist. If you remember, back on our Freedom Trail stops, Peter Fanuel donated Faneuil Hall to Boston. Ben Franklin's parents are located near the large central obelisk, Joseph Franklin and Abiah Franklin. Joseph Franklin fathered 17 children, seven with his first wife, Anne, and ten with Abiah. Ben Franklin was number eight. Elizabeth Vergoose, a storyteller, later immortalized as Mother Goose. Freedom Trail Stop 15, Park Street Church. This site is often called Brimstone Corner because of the passion of the ministers, and because during the War of 1812, gunpowder was stored in the basement of this church. This was the site of William Lloyd Garrison's anti-slavery speech on July 4, 1829. Garrison was published in the Liberator, a newspaper for many years, speaking out against slavery. The song, America, was sung for the first time here on July 4th, 1831. The following is a brief um, explanation of who William Lloyd Garrison was and what his beliefs were. William Lloyd Garrison was a publisher of The Liberator, which was a um, newspaper in Boston. And in his very first issue, Mr. Garrison... Um, discussed his beliefs on anti-slavery. He stated, I do not wish to think or speak or write with moderation. I am in earnest. I will not equivocate. I will not excuse. I will not retreat a single inch. And I will be heard. And Garrison was heard. For more than three decades from the first issue of his weekly paper in 1831, Until after the end of the Civil War in 1865, when the last issue was published, Garrison spoke out eloquently and passionately against slavery and for the rights of American black inhabitants. At this point, if we have not reached Stop 16 on the trail, you should pause. Freedom Trail, Stop 16, the Massachusetts State House. Charles Bullfinch, often referred to as America's first professional architect, designed this building. This building is designed in the Federal style. In 1802, copper sheathing manufactured by Paul Revere replaced the leaking shingles. In 1861, it was gilded with gold leaf and has remained so, with the exception of World War II when it was painted black to aid in the hiding during blackouts for air raids. This building houses the sacred cod, donated by John Rowe, to remind them all of the importance of the local economy, fishing. As we walk to the final station on the um, Freedom Trail, here's a bit about the sacred cod. When you visit the State House in Boston, you may be surprised to see a large wooden fish hanging in the back of the chamber of the House of Representatives. Did you ever wonder what the fish is doing there, in the beautiful old hall where the representatives meet? The fish is a carving of a codfish, and it is called the sacred cod. It represents the importance of the fishing industry in the early history of the state. Fishing is the oldest industry in the United States. Settlers and Indians were fishing long before the Pilgrims came to the New World in 1620. The Indians of Massachusetts used cod and other fish as a staple or basic part of their meals. When the pilgrims celebrated the first Thanksgiving with the Wampanoag Indians, they ate cod along with famous turkey. It was in the 1600s that the part of Massachusetts that curves into the ocean, like an arm, was named Cape Cod, after this delicious fish. As Massachusetts grew, the fishing industry grew along with it. In the 1800s, many cities and towns became important ports for fishing boats. Gloucester, Boston, Provincetown, and New Bedford are some of the most famous places for fishing in Massachusetts. All of, the city, all of these cities and towns still have many fishing fleets. The Boston and Gloucester fishermen catch a lot of cod. The codfish became a symbol of the state more than 200 years ago. Therefore, it was not a surprise when the state legislature decided to choose the cod as the official state fish in nineteen seventy four The sacred cod, which hangs above the heads of the representatives in the state House, is carved out of pine and is five feet long. The cod is there now is it no, excuse me the cod that is there now is the third carving under which Massachusetts lawmakers have sat. The first was destroyed in a fire at the old state house in seventeen forty seven and the next was destroyed during the revolutionary war the third cod dates from 18 or dates from 1784 but no one is sure who carved it it was faithfully allowed in the house of representatives whenever it went from the old house old state house to the new house chamber in 1995 the cod has been there ever since except for the time in 1933 when it was codnapped by the, house of, by the members of the Harvard Lampoon magazine. The practical jokers soon returned the cod, and it now hangs once again over the house. Among the grand paintings and statues of the long history of Massachusetts, the cod reminds us, in a simple way, of the importance of our first industry in the lives of the people of Massachusetts. At this point, if we have not reached the Boston Common, please pause. BOSTON COMMON, THE 17TH AND FINAL STOP ON THE FREEDOM TRAIL Boston Common was originally owned by William Blackston. The city purchased it, and then it was used as a camp by the British before the Revolutionary War. After that, that, it was used for cattle grazing and public hangings until 1830. Mary Dyer was one of the people hanged for for her belief in religious freedom at this site. Some of the park sites include Parkman Bandstand, Parkman was a man who donated five million dollars to maintain the parks in Boston, the Frog Pond, Brewer Fountain, Robert Gould Shaw Memorial, Soldier and Sailor's Monument, and the Central Burying Grounds, graves of many of the British and American casualties from the Battle of Bunker Hill in 1775. At this point, we finished the Freedom Trail. I hope you enjoyed um, the walk. Thanks for listening.